Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. Uh, it is, what month is it now? February 2019. Uh, it's 3DMs talking about their games, helping each other out, and we have a special appearance today. Uh, Mike is off doing silly things like at a gaming convention, so he can't record and be at Winter Fantasy at the same time, apparently. Um, so we managed to call in his his superior anyway, his, his uh, better DM in every regard. Uh, David Gibson, welcome back. Hi, I've been recording this podcast today for 30 seconds. I'd already managed to screw it up for graphics. <laughs> <Sam. laughs> uh, and also with me as usual is Sam. Sam, say hi. Hello. I am going to put 15 minutes on the clock, uh, David, and that's how much time you have to talk about your game and ask questions with the understanding that we all always go over time. Yes, I've heard the show before. So. Uh, indeed. <laughs> all right, ready? Go. Okay. So I'm continuing a, a long-going game that's been interrupted by many little side games and mini campaigns set in my homebrew world that's tidily locked where half of it faces towards the sun and half of it faces away. So there's a, a thin band in the middle that is in a crap sack world. And uh, so I've been, I've been working towards a, kind of a player driven goal. So it's, yeah, it's a very player driven campaign where I'm trying to focus on their lives and their personal quests and whatever the, the characters want as kind of um, as plots rather than having a giant overarching railroad where I force them onto the rails. Mostly in response to having run a bunch of uh, storyline and adventure paths previously. And so players threw something at me where they had, hey, let's do this thing where we kill the evil ruler of a kingdom because we're 10th level now and think we're gods and can really mess with the uh, David's published campaign setting. They think they're like, gods at 10th level? Yeah, they're they're arrogant. We can disabuse them of that. Yeah. So they're, they're, <laughs> they're off to, to kill the, the king of a, a kingdom who's a, an evil slaver king, like you do. And they're completely messing up my worlds, which I'm half okay with and half of me, it's me is freaking out because it's, oh God, it's my world. Um, <laughs> But so it's been traveling for a couple of sessions and I had like you know, everything perfectly worked out. They're going to do this and do this and everything is going to be fine. And then a couple of days before the session, one of the players was like, oh, by the way, I'm busy marking because I'm a teacher and teachers suck. And so I can't make it for the next <laughs> month. Yes, I you know. know. Yes, we're all teachers on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> you know this, right? <laughs> I'm aware. That's why it's funny. <laughs> Jeff, so, I don't know who I don't know who invited this guy. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I work in an elementary school, so right. I, I say he yeah. he works in the schools too. <laughs> I know I figured he was being self-deprecating too. So yeah. well, I'm a librarian, so I can ask all the teacher shit I want. Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. so he, he, he gets all the fun. He gets all the yeah. fun of teaching without the grading. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no marking for me, which is why I couldn't make it for two weeks or uh, two sessions, uh, four weeks, because he had to mark and he was doing marking and uh, marking provincial achievement tests. So I'm like, well, this character is just going to fade into the background annoyingly and I'm going to have to uh, run him and it's going to make a whole bunch more work for me unless they're walking through this area of the world where there's planar bleed, where the, the shadow fell is like pressing in on the world. So I just had him like accidentally shunted into the shadow fell uh, through like kind of a, a micro portal that's open for a second. So the characters just gets like, you know, sucked out through gray box at the very beginning of a session and he's off and he's coming back in like three days for an upcoming session because he's finally returning. And I had the idea that his character hasn't been in the spotlight a lot. He's kind of always been kind of like the background character, not because the player is a background player, which you have to be aware of, but because the, just the character hasn't been as much of a lead protagonist. Hasn't been that kind of like that kind of central figure that pushes to be in the spotlight as other characters. Mm -hmm. And since he's been off in the, the, the shadow fell for how, however long and has to be reunited with the party, I figured, hey, one shot. So he gets to play as a regular character, and all the other four players are going to be playing pre-gens made by me 
in the, the of Shadowfell type races or Shadowfell friendly mm. creatures who are kind of helping escort this guy to his destination while having a wacky, crazy side trip adventure where I can kill as many characters as I want because it's a one shot. And that's what I'm planning for this session. And I have very little planned, even though it's in three days for this crazy <laughs> one shot. Have you put together the, the pre-gens yet? Uh, I have like the barest outline of pre-gens and it's mostly an opportunity for me to like play test some, uh, some Mobu classes I've thrown together class uh, subclasses and uh, the break in uh, Matt Mercer's blood hunter uh, class from the mm. DMs guild, which mm -hmm. I've seen, but never seen in play. So I'm going to like make one of those, the pre-gen and see how that works. Yeah. So I've like, I've like three of them worked out. I still need to make out one of them. And uh, it's just basically me kind of like, this, this very, very loose skeleton of a storyline that I'm kind of slowly working towards. Yeah, and so... I have like, you know, so he's, so. He, he's basically... You've got the, the one character, and he's got to get from, what, point A to point B and meet up with the other characters, and shenanigans presumably ensue, yes? Yes. And <laughs> honestly, yeah, because it's, like, so much meet up, interacting with people, shenanigans, inter-party dynamics... That's going to eat up a good hour of playtime. And mm -hmm. just so much time is just going to be people going, my character does what again? I get to do once per day. Uh, yeah. So, so, so I don't you, need a lot. <laughs> were you hoping like to do a mini like adventure, like a few sessions of this? Or you were hoping to just do it in one shot? Or, or what are your ideas here? I'm hoping for a one and done. Okay. And they, they are like ninth, tenth level. So they're pretty powerful. So I can't just throw waves after waves of undead at them and just have, you know, shadow dragon or something mm -hmm. spooky. Just... Do you have a sense of, of where where he's starting and where he needs to go? Only the very, very loosest. Okay. What, it, what are your loose concepts? I'm sorry? What are your loose ideas? It'd be, uh, this character is slightly lower level, so it'd be nice to have give him some sort of shadow patron because one of the things I'm trying to break my players of in this campaign, I'm working with a whole bunch of uh, uh, 3D5 Pathfinder 4th edition alumni mm -hmm. who are very used to building characters and having like all my characters' progress is based on this feat I took and this magic item I have. And so this campaign, it's our first really long-lasting 5th edition campaign that's not a one-shot. I'm really focusing on trying to give them neat little boons in the world and the little kind of bonuses so they do something in the story and something happens to their character to reflect that it's not just what the kid chose at level up that defines the character but stuff they've done and so i think that the main central thing i'm trying to build the idea around is at some point he needs to get like infused in the shadow or blessed by some sort of shadow being and get like some sort of shadow boon to reflect his time in the shadow world is kind of a here's something a defining character option that wasn't a feat. And I want to either build towards that. Mm -hmm. So what, so you said you've got sort of a vague idea of, of where he is and where he's going. Could you, what, what is that vague idea? Well, I started off in this one land. That's just basically off at the edge of the map. And he just needs to get like across the mountains to a town where he can theoretically break through the barriers between worlds and get back to the mortal worlds and meet up with the players because he knew the route they were taking. So at some point he just needs to get to where a spot where he needs to reunite with everyone. Mm -hmm. And that's easily done through uh, a backstory in in the pregens, which is what the great thing about pregens is I can seed them with adventure hooks. Like they have a quest. They know that if they can go here there's a, a shadow gate that they can get through. Mm -hmm. It just basically, yeah, it's just... Um, it's it's not, not, not much of an adventure needed. It's just more of a... I need yeah, yeah. encounters almost or an in neat adventure hook. And that stuff almost writes itself. Are you familiar with the gloom rot um, setting, I guess? I, I do have the box set. I haven't looked at it in some time. Yeah. So I wonder if there's not, like, if that couldn't be the town or the city or whatever that he's got to get to. And then the gate that he needs happens to be, you know, under the control or in the estate of or whatever, some sort of, um, you know, gloom rot, 
you know, noble or whatever, who then could be the patron or demand a favor of him, of them or whatever. Um, you know, I think there's a lot there in, as I recall in Gloomrot that, um, at least if that's, that's the city that I'm thinking of, right? In, in the Shadowfell? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that, I think there's a lot there that could be mined for, for some really great ideas. That, that works really well because the, the, the other group, the rest of the group, has spent two sessions traveling. So I've had two sessions of kind of like Lord of the Rings, slow money shots of uh, New, um, New Zealand, slowly traveling. <laughs> um, it's en- endless, endless travel shots. And so they, they're done with that. And so I don't want to, like, it'd be, it is, that's a great idea of just skip the journey, go right to the adventure hook and have the Gloom at Noble and have the quest be getting over the world and less getting across the world. Yeah, well, and it could be, it, you could almost, once you're in the city, it could almost become almost a, a political intrigue sort of story. So you don't have to do the, the whole journey and, and that kind of stuff. It's, it's a very different take, but it still accomplishes the goal you need, you know? I like it. That's yeah. It's simple and does the job. Also, uh, Sam, I also need uh, one more character to round up the roster, and there is a Griner in my world and a Shea in my world. <laughs> there is no Sam Dillon. There's no. <laughs> it's from my last time on the DM uh, behind the DM screen. Ah, I, see. I feel. I feel. I feel like Sam Dillon is the name of a halfling, but <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Samwise Dylan. Are, yeah. are 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 there are there halflings in your world? Yes, it is crazy kitchen sink. Okay. Are there uh gnomes in your world? Also, yes. Uh so do you want are you saying you want me to create a, a an NPC for you? Is Just that what you're saying? Give me like the, the the elevator pitch for Samuel Dylan, the fourth PC of this party. Alright. Well, <laughs> Uh, I, I like the idea that uh, that he's a halfling, and uh, I think that he is uh, one of these halflings that uh, really enjoys wearing very uh, garish clothing, very uh, you know colorful, probably oversized clothing because he's probably pretty rotund. And uh, and and likes to be comfortable when he's moving around. Is he is he going uh, over the top on the color because he's in the Shadowfell, which is so drab? Right. Yeah. So he 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 believes that he is going to bring color to to the Shadow Realm. <laughs> that that there's no reason why that you know that everybody it just is so gloomy, but there's really no reason why everybody can have a fine life on this plane and exhibit coloration that will bring happiness to others. And if you can do that, then you can bring lightness into the dark. Uh, but he, tr- but he believes that the shadow fell is just fine. Like it's not, he's not trying to change it. He's not trying to transform it or, or make it something else. But in his mind, it is a place with lots of color. And so wherever he goes, there has to be lots of color. He's the he's the goth person has that like that red accent to bring out the black. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It makes the black stand out yeah. better. If you yes, that's right. Color. That's right. Yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, so that's that's his thing. Uh, and he he uh, he probably um, does not like uh, like crossbows. He doesn't like those, but he loves throwing knives and darts uh, <laughs> because he considers it very sporty. And uh, and he he fancies himself as a very sort of sporty type of a- outdoors kind of person, but it's really just the lie he tells himself because he really just likes to sit in the tavern and eat and drink. <laughs> what's his class? Nice. What's his class then? Ah, uh, hmm, that's a good question. Because my original uh, thought was a spellcaster to make all the crazy light, you know, pick all the light spells. But... What's the what? What are the what are the classes of the other NPCs? Uh, I'm, I ended up homebrewing a, uh, a warlord called the Tactician, which is on the DM okay. skills. Uh, yeah. I created that by accident, and I'm going to be using Bloodhunter. <laughs> and okay. I may or may not try a, a, a bard or something, but those are the like. So, it's, so they could go for a non-caster. Yeah. yeah, they could go for a non-caster though, because it sounds like all casters so far. Yeah, 
Uh, I mean, I was thinking Bard actually, but uh, you know, only because it because my conception of a Bard is is uh, jovial storyteller who is probably mostly full of BS. But but there's it's one of those there's a kernel of truth to to everything, and so you never quite know where he went from the realm of truth telling to the realm of uh, so exorbitantly exaggerated that it's obviously not true. But then every once in a while there is this wild ass story that he tells that actually turns out to be completely hundred percent true, but everybody thought it was exaggerated. You know, that's good. I like that. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I, I was thinking like because. The easy answer to me was the bard and and the spellcaster generally, but um, I was even thinking like there's a there's a certain sort of uh, hilarious irony for a rogue who doesn't try to stay hidden and instead is wearing all the bright colors, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I like I like your little bard. Like, it, it, okay, is he rambling now and going crazy, or is or is 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 that an actual thing? Like, right. That's right. a fun little. Yeah, and he truly believes in in all of it. So he's almost like a storyteller illusionist kind of person right not that i not not that i think he should cast a bunch of illusion type spells but uh just in the fact of he he can pull you in and make you believe what he's saying but it's not really that you believe it it's that you know he believes it so you're left questioning whether it's really true or not (laughs) and it happens enough that it's true that it that it's it actually is questionable so even the most, you know, it's it's the big fish story, but actually there was a big fish one time. <laughs> right. that, does that give you something to work with there, David? <laughs> that gives me, <laughs> it gives me a lot to work with. Good, good, good. It's a, add, it adds nicely to uh, Shay the gruff uh, bandit when it became like the major domo of the, the group. Oh, yeah. And Griner nice. the off-key bard. <laughs> just shows up occasionally and everyone hates him because he's an off-key bard sweet <laughs> victory uh so you also talked about wanting to give this guy some sort of uh boon from a shadow patron or whatever do you have an idea of what you were thinking about doing for the boon yeah it's this character this player um, joined the group late i had a player mm-hmm. planning to drop out and so he came in as a ringer and then just ended up staying and then the other player ended up not dropping out and so i ended up with a five-person table instead of a four-person table boo-hoo me yeah that's not uh, <laughs> yeah and so but uh since he was coming in into a fairly high level game actually it was mid-level game of seventh level sixth level i decided to have his character start a level or so behind everyone else hoping that he would catch up and it just hasn't happened as i played straight and just use experience and so he's always been a little behind, and he's playing a paladin, and is kind of being the tank. And so being that, that level behind, and somehow due to fate hating him, he's also a crit magnet. If I'm going to crit anyone at the table, it's going to be him. So knowing that he's a crit magnet and he's a level behind, I need to just give him some hit dice and be like, hey, here's a couple D12 hit dice that are just bonus. Mm-hmm. Bam. You're, you have the unnatural vigor of the, the, the grave and shadow coursing through your veins, mm. strengthening you. And then maybe some other, like, you know, make things dark once for long rest power. Just, you know, something fun and flavorful, mm-hmm. a, a small bit to help define so, the character, give him a little bit of flavor. Yeah, so he's he's a paladin? Who, who's his patron deity? Uh, he's a paladin of war. It's kind of a, a okay. war god. So he, he likes to stir up the conflict. So it's not necessarily going to be a problem if he also has a patron who's uh you know uh, a shadow an arch shadow fae or something. No, no, if he's got a it's could be interesting if he's got someone who's yeah a shadow fae or I recommend just like a noble that's powerful. I recommend looking at the um, I think it's is it the uh, the Tome of Foes that has the the uh, was it the the demon lord. Um, boons yes. and things that you can pick up uh okay. i'd look at that for inspiration for sort of you know um how you could run that and and you know and then think about of course think about long term like what are the consequences to this patronage like what when's this patron going to come back and say hey by the way i helped you out here what do you you know i need you to do something for me you know oh, there's yeah. also a a shadow magic uh um sorcerer 
uh, from um, oh man, I went blank. Uh, I think from Xanathar's Guide. Hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah. But it, but it, the thi- I mean, you could look at it for inspiration in terms of like what the if you're if you're a shadow mancer, like what kind of what does that look powers? Like? Yeah. What does it look like? What kind of powers that do, would you get? And maybe you could sort of fiddle one of those into a nice boon that would match the the theme of the of the setting. Mm-hmm. I like those ideas. Those would be you know much more interesting and evocative than just casting darkness once per day. Which I'm sure one of the demon lord powers probably is, but yeah, I'm I'm and the, and the I'm using the demon lords myself, so. Yeah. I mean, the the thing is, like, you want you want you just want to tweak things, right? Like, you want you want to make something that's that's specific to his situation, right. but you could totally like get him into a lot of trouble by giving him something that is some kind of great boon, but then you know, of course, there's consequences to that, okay. right? And consequences are great because, again, it's an excuse to get this character who's kind of fell behind the wayside for because the character isn't as uh, extroverted as all some of the other characters, even though mm-hmm. the player can be, and finding a way to make stories about them. Hey, I like that. You know where else all of our listeners can get a great boon? <laughs> <laughs> From our sponsor, noblenight.com. <laughs> By the way, your time's up. <laughs> yes. Uh, my pick for this episode is actually they're they're usually related to what I'm going to talk about, of course, because I don't know what the other guys are going to talk about. Uh, but my pick for this episode is the Day One Adventures. Uh, it's a collection of adventures for Torg Eternity. Uh, it introduces it, it helps learn the game and the setting and you introduce are introduced to every possible sort of uh, cosm which is what they're called these different sort of realities they're invading earth uh, uh, it's got pregen so you don't have to think about it. it's a really good way to sort of scale up and slowly build up your understanding of the world um, and, and really get into it uh, I've now played through them all and and I really enjoyed the the day one adventures I think they were extremely well done so Torg Eternity Day One Adventures uh, available for like like a third off at at uh, Noble Knight, so that's a good deal, and you should go check it out if you're gonna if you are interested in playing Torg, because you know I am. Hello, thank you for having me. Yes, I normally devour Noble Knights, but right now. NobleKnight.com NobleKnight.com is so awesome and it's tasty. I get all my gaming products there, new and out of print, and I can sell my products when I'm not using them. Now, I need to go capture some villagers and sit on a pile of treasure. Thanks. All right, Samuel. Yes, sir. It is your turn to talk about your game, so go at it. All right, well, uh, I'm actually going to use my time to pick everybody's brains as well because uh, my game was on holiday hiatus, and then when uh, when my games were supposed to start again, I ended up having to cancel my games last week because uh, I had a family family health thing that came up. So. Uh, so those those things got canceled. So, uh, but what I am in the middle of doing is prepping an, for a new campaign, and uh, I'm I'm gonna run a group of new players, like new to D and D players, not just new to me. Uh, and so what I what I want to do is I want to create a campaign that is going to sort of uh, introduce them to fifth edition, introduce them to the ideas of Dungeons and Dragons and introduce them to the um, sort of common tropes, but also do something really cool. So um, I, I'm probably going to set it in the Nintir Vale mm-hmm. uh, because I love that setting and it has a lot of uh, flexibility and opportunities to do different things. And because it's not being developed, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, it's a closed setting right now. So there, it's not like I'm going to do something and then some new book is going to come out and completely contradict everything I've done. So um, 
so here's my question. What are the things that you think new players, a new to D&D player, needs to experience within the first three sessions? They need to fight a dragon and they need to explore a dungeon. It's, it sounds obvious, okay. but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's right in the name. You expect there to be dragons. Right. Somebody, who's, to be somebody who's new to the game, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to want to expect that, and they are iconic to the game. I was actually okay. going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> so. <laughs> no cheating. Quit looking at each other's notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. What else? Uh, I think one of the important things to do is to start – with something freeform and give them the opportunity to get creative because that really helps separate a Dungeons and Dragons from any other board game or video game. Just completely get off the rails mm-hmm. for just a little bit just so they know that we can absolutely do anything and be creative. I can start a pie fight. I can you know, walk into a bar and hit on the bartender. Just, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I can like I'm, I'm torn. Uh, see, I'm torn on that one. About that. I'm torn. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't. I don't know because the thing is, I mean, like I'm completely open if they want to try weird stuff. Of course, I'm. I'm not worried about them derailing something. But if it's completely open, uh, what I like to do is actually uh, for games like this is actually have a little bit of structure, but have a little bit of freedom as well. And I actually like to use a fair, have kind of like a big kind of celebration fair party day because mm-hmm. that gives you opportunity to have a whole bunch of activities here's the pie eating contest here's a foot race okay. here's catching a grease pig each of which can be used to introduce the idea of ability checks and saving throws you're eating pies make constitution checks to avoid throwing up from the pie you're catching grease pig that's a attack roll it's a okay, you're doing okay. A foot race. right right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But it yeah. also gives them a chance of the opportunity to be like, are there this activity at the fair? I want to do this at the fair. And, but it gives them up the not uh, not an infinite possibility of I can do anything, but it's I right. can do anything at the fair. It gives, they can ask, is X at a fair? Yeah, I like that a lot more. Like, like I want to set the precedent that like mm-hmm. this is an open game and you can do what you want and be creative um, and encourage new players to... to like Because once you set the precedent that this is a mechanical game of combat... Then it's hard mm-hmm. to break that habit, right? Um, right, right. So if you set the precedent early that this is an open and it's storytelling and it's narrative focus, like I would focus heavily on making sure that there are lots of interesting uh, NPCs and hooks and things for them to really engage with in, in terms of role playing. Uh, I would encourage them to role play with each other from the you know early on so they get used to that because that's a thing that I, I have a hard time getting players to do players that have been playing for a long time even um, have a hard time I think role playing with each other as much you know they don't mind role playing with the NPCs mm-hmm. but with each other it, it it mostly just becomes strategizing sessions right right um, right so so I think all of those things are great precedents to set but like we I think all three of us were thinking like you don't want to have a completely open situation because then new players oftentimes will show up and they'll just flounder like I, I don't know what I want to do. What's there to do? What right. can, you know. So right, right. Yeah, that's paralysis. Right. That's the danger. Yeah. Uh, uh, the big question that has to be asked for people new to the game this day and age: How familiar are they with streaming? Um, well, so yeah, I yeah I don't I don't know, uh, and I, I this is probably actually also going to be streamed so. Uh, they'll have to be familiar enough that they're okay with streaming themselves, it. and they'll probably they'll probably have witnessed other streams. But uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm gonna set the tone. You know, I'm not I'm not gonna be running critical role. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That's um, that is the so danger. That, is the yeah, effect. Yeah. Yeah. So that so you know I'm I'm not worried about that because I'm I'm you know I'm handpicking people and I'm making sure that they understand. Uh, you know, I'm not a voice actor. I don't expect them to be actors. I don't expect, you know, it's not, it's not going to be scripted in any way. Right. Uh, well, so there's, there's not, you know, not, I'm not saying that his is, I'm just saying like, I, I don't, that's just not how I right. run it. So they'll know that going forward. Going yeah. Forward. Professionally trained in improv. Right. 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 Well, and, 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 uh, I, I've oftentimes said that, that, 
you know, and wh- while you watch that and, and you talk about the Matt Mercer effect and whatever, um, the flip side of that is that, in my opinion, what really makes Critical Role Critical Role isn't necessarily just Matt Mercer. It's that all those players, like, are not afraid to just straight up go there. Right. Uh, with right. their characters every single session. Um, that said, that may not be a horrible expectation or I mean not expectation but but sense of inspiration for them like if that's if that's their their right. you know their baseline and they're trying to be you know those players um that may not be a bad place for them to try to go you know yeah yeah no and I and I'm not I won't discourage that of course but I'm just I you know my the precedent is going to be or the the idea is, that is set is going to be you know my expectation is mm-hmm. not that they're going to come out of the gate hundred percent confident and completely comfortable with each other mm-hmm. and you know pl- being the best gamer ever like that's not what it's about it's about sitting down and having fun and having an experience that that you have not experienced before and learning through that and and you know playing a campaign and learning how to develop those skills right because part of it is getting people that are completely fresh so that you can see the progression of their skills and right. and how you know and so this is so so this is that the idea that i floated on 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 uh, on twitter which was and we've talked about it before yeah completely new table and play a session two or three hour session and then have an hour of discussion you know what what do you think went well what didn't go as well how do you feel about certain aspects what do you feel about the game mechanics talk role-playing talk you know talking about story talking about game development just just sort of a completely 100 percent open conversation Mm -hmm. no judgment no you know what i mean that that sort of analysis type of of you know to get a new a new player perspective and see how that runs but I want to make sure that I have a campaign ready for them or a setting. I, 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 it doesn't have to be a total campaign, right? It just needs to be a setting that's seeded with enough cool stuff mm-hmm. and with enough direction that they feel like they're going somewhere, but not so much direction that they're straightjacketed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is really the trick. And so I'm I'm sort of going to use it as a learning opportunity as well for myself and the viewers that you know hey look i've been doing this for a long time but there's still a lot i have to learn just like everybody and so let's let's talk about it from the perspective of a new table and how do i change my the way i usually do things to fit that new table and what am i going to learn from that and what am i going to learn doesn't work and what does work and those sorts of things that's the kind of conversation right like an actual critical conversation about not not like the rules. Oh, these rules suck, or oh, that rule's great. But but just how do these things interact, and how does uh, how does a new player who doesn't really have thirty years of experience or thirty years of background, how do they see this, and how how does this strike them, and how does that change the way that I myself see the game? That's what I'm. Mm-hmm. That's what they, But so that means I want to make sure that I get. You know, I, I'm not going to do this completely, totally, 100% off the wall, Gonzo. This is not like any other game ever, right? Uh, because that's not what I'm shooting for. I'm shooting for standard. You want to you, know, you want to explore the tropes because these are players who don't know the tropes, right? And they might know them from, they might be familiar to them from you know video games or mm-hmm. from fantasy movies or television shows but they don't have the experience of being in the world playing a character there and what you can do with that and how it's different from those other medium you know those are those media types the uh the go-to for that for the tropes would almost be the the caves of chaos the keep on the borderland yeah yeah and also like a village of hamlet it's kind mm-hmm. of investigate a, a cave that's kind of non-linear where you can kind of investigate and how you interact with the different factions in the dungeon and right. you can turn factions against each other. That's very D&D to me. Where Sam, you, you Sam not do- just like kill people, but... Yeah. Sa- Sam doesn't run published adventures, though. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I've run he, Keep on the Borderlands. He, he hacks published adventures. 30 times. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I hack everything. And, and whatever I do will be hacked as well. But you're right. That's like the epitome of starting adventures, right? Well, and you there's... With a little town, 
So you get some NPCs, you have a wilderness, a small wilderness trek to get there, and then you have an area where there are factions and, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that, that is D&D. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about the, the, the adventures that get played a lot in a lot of tables become a sort of cultural or community shorthand, you know, because a lot of people played, uh, you know, Keep on the Borderlands, and so they have that, that, that touchstone, or the Tomb of Horrors, or um, what was the, the intro for the edition one, Keep on the Shadowfell? I, you know, Shadowfell. yeah, so people have those sort of uh, touchstones of, you know, it's just not that we went through this, but but lots and lots and lots of people all over the world went through this. And when you talk about, you know, I ran into Meepo and we did this with him, then other people kind of know who that is and know what's going on or whatever. Right, right. So exactly. there's there's value in, in going to, I think, some of those classic, um, you know, and, and, it's, and it's not hard to do uh, at this point with 5th edition either because of uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal. You could pull one of those very easily uh, or several of those pretty easily and hack them together into a, into a campaign. Or even yeah. just like pulling scenes, like the the Meepo scene from uh, uh, Sunless Citadel, which yeah. is in Tales from the Yawning Portal, and just yeah. having setting up uh, that encounter and having that play out, even if it's an entirely different setup, even if it's an entirely different adventure, but just having oh look, there's a kobold named uh, Meepo or right. Goblin. Right. No, he was a kobold. Kobold. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Splug was, was the goblin. Splug was from yeah, that was from uh, Keep on the. Where they, they tried to pull a meepo. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and it, and it worked for some people and not for others, right? <laughs> for some, for some, it was too transparent, right? It was too transparent of a callback, uh, amidst amidst a uh, you know something that that wasn't working for them already, and for some people it was like, oh, this is great. So, and that's that's going to be also one of the interesting things, right? Uh, running something like this you know running something with a lot of the sort of standard tropes you're gonna I, I'm assuming I'm gonna get sort of a varied response for different people are gonna think it's totally awesome and, and others are gonna think oh well okay and what's next like is there is it gonna get more weird or is it gonna stay tropey like that that sort of thing you can also kind of flip some of the tropes knowingly like save the save the good dragon from the evil princess Mm -hmm. where you obviously know the trope and you're just kind of flipping it or twisting it yeah. so they're they can kind of acknowledge it's a trope and kind of uh, get some play with it without actually being as uh, as overdone so right. i want to i want to suggest if you use david's ideas as a, as a fair for a starting point mm -hmm. um perhaps one of the the exhibits, you know, how sometimes you'll have a, a fair or whatever, and you pay a, a copper, and you get to go inside the tent and see the the horrible creature or whatever. Yep, yep. Uh, one of the exhibits is one of those tents, and inside is a caged, um, you know, young dragon, and then it breaks out, and that gets you your dragon fight. Ah, uh, uh, yes. And then possibly it turns into a question of, hey, where did you get this young dragon? And Oh my gosh! Are like is is dad or mom going to come looking for us? Or, you know, and, and and you know what's going on now? And so there's a lot that can be built off of that as well. So yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, hmm, interesting. Yeah, I do like the I do like the fair idea. I think it's because uh, you're right. It has a lot of. It also has the opportunity to talk to sh uh, sort of illustrate a lot of mechanics without. Uh, threat of failing, you know. I mean, exactly. if they if they're trying to catch the greased pig, you know, if they don't win that one, they they don't win that one. The consequences not, are low, yeah. Yeah, the, the consequences are very low. Uh, although they might end up with grease all over them, and 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 the townsfolk might laugh, you know, and and uh, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's also uh, not like a, a two hour long combat session right away. Right, it's, right, they're very exactly. short, little five seconds, yeah. like minuets. Yeah. Yeah, or they might accidentally beat the strong man, you know, when you, you use the hammer and you, you hit the thing and you ring the bell, like, they might accidentally beat the reigning champion, and so he holds a grudge in town, you know, something like that. Right. Thing. Uh, so th those kind of things which bring a town alive so that the NPCs aren't just names on a piece of paper, they're mm -hmm. actual, you know, things that seem like that, that they could, in fact, have a consequence to them later on. Maybe that's the blacksmith's son, and right. uh, and so later on when they need to buy something, you know, the he gets influenced by his son. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 
Very good. I think you've got a good start. Awesome. Um, yeah. I, look, I look forward to seeing what happens with it. Yeah, Ready and uh, of course I will be talking about it on here probably for months to come. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so before we go on to me, I should mention that if you want to support the show, uh, other than going and visiting our, our wonderful uh, sponsors, you can also support us more directly by going to our affiliate links at Amazon and the DMs Guild. Uh, they are linked on the website at thetomeshow.com. And in fact, um, the links should be updated for DMs Guild. We've been using old ones for a long time, and it used to just forward along because they didn't have resources for affiliates on DMs Guild at first. Uh, but they should all be updated right now, right, Sam? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, you'll, By the time this comes out, they'll have been updated they'll for have been two updated. or three posts. Right, so, absolutely. Yeah. So, so that should be, uh, if you were having trouble with that and, and just sort of gave up, um, that should be fixed now so um those are ways that you can support us or if you want to support us directly you can go to patreon.com slash the tome show uh and become one of the patrons who you know um gives us uh, as little as a dollar a month uh and there's you know you get you get all kinds of accolades and thanks and and what have you um for helping support us in that way so um go check that out all right my turn I have 15 minutes to talk about my game, so here's the deal. I have played one session of Torg since we last met, and I have played one session of D&D since we last talked. Um, and so, and the Torg has actually transitioned from playing a bunch of one-shots into starting an actual sort of side campaign from when we're not playing D&D. So I could talk about either one. Which do you want to hear about first? Well, I, you've been playing that Torg for a long time. What is it transitioning into? It's, so so I'll, I'll start there then. So uh, Torg Eternity, uh, when the original core rules came out, I kickstarted it, and it included in the, in the, the sort of box set, it included this, uh, these adventures called the Day One Adventures that I mentioned as our Noble Night Spot. Uh, and so the idea is that it, you do a series of... of um, technically, there's a there's one three shot and one two shot, but they're mostly one shots that are intended to just sort of introduce you to different parts of the world, and and you sort of uh, escalate sort of in how much you learn about the larger sort of meta story of Torg and and what's going on, and you learn how to play the game, and it gets more complex over time, and so you learn all the different aspects of of how Torg functions, and by the end of it, you're you're an experienced Torg player. Uh, but so that's been a series of one shots, though. That's not really a campaign, um, but now that we've finished all of those, I have sketched out uh, a whole—well, not a whole campaign, but a good chunk of a campaign, enough to get them to um, beta clearance. Which uh, so so there's no levels in the game. You get five experience for every act, which is basically a session. For every session, you get five experience points that you then use to to uh, increase different you know skills or, or attributes or whatever. Um, and then after you've reached, uh, I think it's a, a hundred total experience that you've earned um, through your whole career, uh, your clearance level within the organization that you work for, which is called the Delphi Council, which is like the resistance against these reality raiders who are invading, um, goes up. And then so they send you now on harder missions because you're, you know, you're more powerful and you have access to more training and more, you can requisition better equipment and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so I've... I've planned out sort of an arc that largely uses adventures that they've published cobbled together with like four or five things that i've created and come up with to sort of tie it together to actually create sort of a, an arc and there's a story to it uh, as well and so we we played through all of the day one adventures and then we had our session zero where it's like okay well here's all the npc or all the pre-generated characters that you guys have played through this whole time you can choose one of them update them to to be uh your player character or we can make new characters and uh in a, as a surprise to nobody um they all opted to make their own characters um because all of those pregens get recruited into the Delphi Council like at the end of every single day one adventure, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they're all there running around doing stuff. Uh, and so then we ran our first uh, adventure 
uh, in the in the the larger campaign. So this is sort of our side campaign. Basically, uh, if I can get four players to show up to my game, then we play D and D. If only three players show up to the game, then we play Torg because Torg scales really well. Like every encounter is almost every encounter is basically described as there are this many creatures per hero. Uh, and so the combats aren't really a concern. It's more cinematic anyway, so it's less about um, you know what monsters you can kill and what have you. It's more about what kind of crazy over the top things can you do um, sometimes. Um, so um, so yeah, so so it works well with a smaller group and, and so and and my players seem to really like it so much so that um, one of the players who's actually only made it to the one shots twice because he's usually when we do tour, he's one of the people who's gone. Um, so he's only done two of them, and he went out and bought the book. Um, oh wow! So he's the okay. only other person at my table who owns the book. But you know, it's a forty dollar book or whatever, so it's not a cheap investment for him to to pick up. Um, so so yeah, I mean, they they like the game. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it plays really well. Um, I'm really pleased with it. So and so we did this first adventure called the Heart of Ukon, which was actually one of their like. Uh, I don't remember if it was a... I think it was a convention adventure that they wrote uh, years ago when Torg was just coming out. And this is sort of their introduction to Torg for all the people at the convention, right? Okay. Uh, and so it makes a really good sort of beginning of the campaign. And it's just sort of, hey, you know, the Delphi Council brought you into an aircraft carrier off the coast of New York. New York is part of this... this um, this reality that's conquered it called the Living Land, which is like dinosaur people and dinosaurs and jungles and all of the the man-made stuff is crumbling and falling apart because it's it's returning to nature and and the dinosaur people are ruling it savagely right and it's cavemen and that kind of stuff <laughs> right it's 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 that sort of classic pulp sort of dinosaur jungle uh setting right um lost lost world kind of kind of a lost brand. world thing yeah. but one of the yeah. things that happens in that world in that cosm is that occasionally random weird stuff from other realities like will appear uh and so that's what this this um story is about is hey this weird crystal tower has appeared in the middle of new york from some other world uh some of our other agents uh reported it to us and those other agents it turns out were the pregens that they played when they were played through the leaving land adventure so they were ah. the, they were the ones who discovered the tower and now you know two months later or whatever these new heroes are being sent in to um recover uh what's called an eternity shard it's basically a a, a magic item or an artifact or whatever that's that's they they believe is in the tower but there's there's a horde of literally hundreds of dinosaur people called edenos outside just banging on the crystal trying to break their way in and there's a guardian inside and so you go through you know they, they travel by rooftop uh from rooftop to rooftop across the the skyline of new york in order to to get to a, a construction crane that they knock over in order to punch a hole in the tower and then crawl across it as on a like a bridge and then knock it down before the the lizard people can crawl across and chase after them you know it's all kinds of the that kind of crazy like uh cinematic sort of stuff going on right so uh it went well and they seem to to really enjoy that so uh that was the torg adventure we ran and now i've got several more sort of lined up and the goal of my my sort of uh arc is to so Torg officially begins, if you go by the core rulebook, starts 90 days after the invasion. But all of the new stuff that they're publishing is like a year after the invasion. So this sort of arc that I've that I've built out sort of bridges the gap, taking the game from um, the 90 days up to the first year and, and incorporates okay. some of the changes that I know are coming because I have those, those later supplements as well. It's like, oh, this area is going to be conquered. I can tell a story about how that happened and, and we can crap, do something with that. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Uh, and we'll keep playing it. I think, uh, as we, as we have people who can't show up. So, uh, so nice. I'll, Otherwise, I've also played a one session of D and D. Not it. I was expecting two major things to happen in this session, and only one of them happened. So, they when we last played, they were inside this place called the Forgotten Temple. Uh, that's from the Rod of Seven Parts adventure. They got the the six piece of the rod uh, from a pit fiend 
who you know wanted who fought them for a while and wore down their resources in order to, so that to you know prove that they were worthy of taking it and not having it just immediately stolen by um, the bad guys you know the bad guys in the eyes of the pit fiend uh, so 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 they're already fairly worn down they walk out of the temple and and it's in a little pocket dimension so they walk through the gate out of the temple and lo and behold surprise there is a gate there to the realm of the queen of chaos and all of the all of her spider fiends are jumping out and attacking and so it immediately jumps into a fight and they're all, they're already worn out like they they've got very few spells left they they've used all their hit dice so they get to you know, um, you know, to fight back against the five minute workday sort of thing. Right. So, uh, you know, you don't you're not going to go take a rest. You're not going to take a nap over there in the pit fiends layer. Like that's not going to happen. And as soon as you walked out, here's this other thing. Uh, and I managed to uh, pull off. So the Queen of Chaos is trying to get the rod. So um, I had the the spider fiends, which are these like wolf headed spider centaur things. Right. Um, they're from the old. Um, Rod of Seven Parts Adventure. I had them focus on grabbing the character who um, who has the rod and dragging him through the gate, and then he's sitting there in the middle of the abyss, uh, in front of the throne of the Queen of Chaos, who then uh, unleashes her true form, which is like this giant. Like I think she's literally a uh, huge. She's either large or huge or whatever. Um, but she looks kind of like Ursula from The Little Mermaid, right? <laughs> okay. And she's got this trident on on a on a yeah. on a rope or whatever that she can throw and pull back, and um, you know, it, it, she's got the tentacles, and the tentacles have a reach of like sixty feet, so she can pretty much just hit you anywhere. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. And they drag you in, uh, and basically they drag you in, and then she just throws you under her her bulk. Uh, and you get pinned underneath her, and there's a she's got like a, a squid beak under there that then chews you up. So, oh god! So uh, me, 60, 60 feet. That's, it, it, that's it's something like that. It is a amazing. crazy long. I mean, from the original one, like I, um, I've I've converted the uh, was it second edition Rod of Seven Parts? I think it was second edition. Uh, I converted the um, the monsters from that in a in a way that would not be done in fifth edition, if that makes sense. Um, so like when a monster has uh, uh, you know fifteen percent magic resistance from the old second edition days, mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually giving them a fifteen percent magic resistance uh, even in the fifth edition stats because uh, okay. it because it throws them for a loop right. It's not something that they expect because that's not how fifth edition creatures are, right. are created. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's you know they freak out about that. And then there's only like one of them, one of the spider fiends has magic resistance, but the queen of chaos does too. They never got to find out though because he got dragged through and then immediately like did everything he could to, to get loose from her and jump back through the gate and get the heck out of there. <laughs> so, uh, and then it was an entire fight of taking out the spider fiends while they just kept trying to throw ev- everybody back into the, into the gate to deal with the, the queen of chaos. <laughs> um, so, uh, so they ma- eventually managed to, to, to win the day. Right. Uh, and then ultimately why we didn't get to the second thing that I expected to happen was because one of the players had to leave and that's when we switched over to Torg. So we actually played um, Torg and D&D in the same, in the same oh, wow. session. Yeah, I mean, Torg, those Torg adventures go quick. I can usually run about two of them in one six-hour session. Wow. So, um, so I was expecting that we would get to the ritual. We've talked about the ritual before, Sam. I, um, I don't know that David has heard the latest episode that what just mm-hmm. came out today or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it was yesterday. Yesterday, I yeah, heard yesterday. It yet. yeah. So, so one of my players um, has been trained, who has lived on the, in the abyss with Fraz or Blue, who trained him as a wizard for fifty years, and then threw him back to the to the regular world. And of course, there's a time differential, so he's only gone for a couple weeks. Uh, but he's fifty years older and now a wizard instead of a monk. <laughs> uh, but. What the party? Do they recognize him? Yeah, they absolutely. This happened okay. a long time ago. Okay. Uh, so okay. they recognize him. They've reintegrated him in the party. They, they've always been a little bit suspect. Like, what's going on? Like, how did? Why would they send you back? You know, why would the demon lord work with you on this? What's what? What are you doing for him? You know, uh, but but some of that has been more on a meta level, like. As players, they're very suspicious of what's going on, but their characters haven't been given a strong reason to be suspicious. You know, it turns out that um, 
the demon lord of illusions and deception is really good at betrayal and lies, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so the the character uh, has been slowly collecting all of the different um, components he needs to to cast this ritual. That Fraz told him, "I need you to cast this ritual to bring me back to the world, uh, but free of the curse that's trapping all the other demon lords in the in the underdark." Because we're doing the out of the abyss thing at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we talked before, like what's going to happen when we run the ritual. And so we talked about how uh, I took ideas from from um, you, Sam, and and Mike from last time we chatted. And so there is another group of cultists who who worship Fraz. So Fraz's cultists have actually been running around doing other things to support this, and they showed up like in the middle of the city when they got out of the the fight with the spider fiends. They showed up in the city and it's like, hey, you know, we've been looking for you. And then privately, one on one, they're like, yeah, so we're working for the same master you're working for. We're here to make sure this happens. And we're, and we're going to, we've already laid the groundwork. We're totally going to set up your cover so that you can, to- so that the, your, your party members won't have any idea what you're doing. Right. Because one of the, one of the components to the ritual is you have to betray somebody who trusts you. Right, so he has to betray one of he has to betray the party, in order to to complete the ritual. That betrayal right. is, is part of the ritual. Right, right. And so they're helping setting up set it up, and then when they do the ritual, I've written up a description of sort of what happens and how it goes, and then that other those other cultists are there to sort of fight back against uh, these these competitor cultists who are going to show up that I've decided are going to be followers of Grazd because Grazd is a demon lord that I really like who has like no presence in out of the abyss so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna do something with him right yeah, uh, yeah. and so they're the graz cultists are gonna show up and the fraz cultists are gonna fight him off while the party also fights him off and the one character and with with the help of the person he's going to betray is conducting the ritual and then at the end of the ritual the the sort of form of fraz starts to appear and then turns into energy and plunges itself through the ritual caster character's eye. So you, we talked about having some sort of actual like physical sacrifice that the character had to make, right? Uh, and so then it turns out the goal of Fraz, who's, you know, again, demon lord of, of deception and betrayal, right? Um, he was never wanting to come back to the world. He is inserting himself into the character um, and, and hiding there. And be and because he knows that that character is part of a party who's going after Miska, the wolf spider, or or Thera's done, or whatever you want to call him, like the big the big bad that the Rod of Seven Parts right. is going to be used on, he knows that that's that's what's coming up, and he's hoping if hey if I hide out inside of this person and they make it there, then I'm around when this god dies and I can absorb that energy. So, so Fraz's ultimate goal is to to absorb deific energy, um, but in the meantime, he's going to destroy this this person's eye and betray his own follower, uh, well, follower, um, you know, acolyte, whatever, um, in the process. And then, and then, of course, the the remaining cultists are like, oh, by the way, the master said you would need this, and throw a magical eye patch at him, so then he gets to walk around with an eye patch. <laughs> So that's sort of uh, what I've built up. Uh, I'm a little concerned now, like what happens when we finish the ritual? I was originally thinking that would be maybe half a session. I don't want to yeah. get to the next story beat because the next story beat is the big battle royale from Out of the Abyss with all the demon lords. Um, and if I get to that with half a session left, I don't think they can finish it. I think that's going to be a full session is running that big battle. Um so I know I, I've, I'm I'm sort of mulling over some ideas. Like, do I do I do like do they go back to the base of operations and we just sort of have a the calm before the storm sort of uh, scenario? You know, they can requisition mm-hmm. equipment and and do whatever role playing. I can set up some sort of role playing scenarios for them to engage with and NPCs to deal with. Um, you know, we could jump straight to the the demon lord. Uh, Royale and and maybe do the setup for the combat and then stop right before you know at the cliffhanger right before we roll initiative sort of thing. Um, I also thought maybe the Queen of Chaos, who they just ran away from last time, um, becomes a little more aggressive and maybe because like they're completely afraid of her, but I think they were mostly afraid of her because they were already so worn down. 
Uh, because they, I'm pretty sure they could take her, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> if if they were yeah. ready for the fight. And so maybe I'll throw her at him again um, and, and show that she's just becoming more aggressive. And maybe I'll mix up both of them. Maybe I'll prepare for the Queen of Chaos to show up um, and have them do the, the role-playing downtime thing. Um, uh, what, you know, if the Queen of Chaos showed up during the Demon Lord showdown. I mean, that would certainly add an extra complication. Although, you know, one of the things that happens with the Demon Lord uh, Battle Royale is that the players end up spending, like, it, the way the adventure is written is, like, the Battle Royale is happening over here, and the players are just waiting to, to clean up whatever's left over. Um, and I was thinking about having Grast, like, sneak around, because he's not really the get in Orcus's face and, and punch him kind of Demon Lord, right? Uh, I was ha- thinking about having him sneak out of the fight and go in, uh, confront them, but that's an interesting idea too. Like the Queen of Chaos could show up as their as the Demon Lords are, are fighting, and I can almost run it like two separate combats. Like th- have them pulled into the the abyss and fight the Queen of Chaos, and then the next session have them play through the battle royale where they get to play the demon lords i told them that's how we're going to do it where i was going to let each of them pick a demon lord to play uh and run and run the battle royale which is one of the ways that the adventurers suggest you can handle it um and they're kind of excited about that that prospect like they're all taking dibs on who their demon lord is going to be um so that could be a way of doing it and just have the make it two different encounters and then have them come together at the end hey this the queen of chaos adventure happened to end at the same time that the demon lords finish killing each other, now now you both you both uh, come out of those fights and you're ready to to take down whoever's left over, you know, whichever demon lord survived. I like that actually. Thank yeah, you. Because at the end, it's uh, I believe it's like what Orcus is left standing and he's like got no hit points left and he's well by, by the book. And then yeah, so so if you if you just do it like narratively. Yeah. Uh, and describe what happens, then that's that's what they suggest happening. But um, one of the options they present is, you know, just print off the the stats or copy the stats and have them play the demon lords and actually see who who wins in the end. Like there's, they present multiple ways of sort of handling. Yeah, that. so it's a little bit more interesting if they there's the one demon lord standing who's almost dead, but the players either are injured from the queen of chaos or the queen of chaos fight still going on, right? Or immediately after they finish that, surprise queen of chaos. Yeah. I think that's smart. I think that's a really interesting way of handling that. And then I suddenly get like the Queen of Chaos fight. I don't think is going to be a whole session fight. So I can I could probably do that after the ritual. You know, have a little bit of downtime and then do that. You know, do the setup for the battle royale and then have the Queen of Chaos show up and, and they get yanked in. I'll have to figure out some way for them to get yanked in and not be able to just immediately go back. But yeah, good. I like I, that. I I like the idea because I. I like the idea of having them uh, do the battle royale and they each take, you know, one of the demon lords or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, have the 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 queen of chaos or whatever her name is, have her show up and just like auto kill a couple of them. But ha- <laughs> have it like not extremely clear, like what happened. Like have it going along, and they're about to do something really awesome, and then you just take the sh- the sheet of paper with the with the demon lord's information yeah. on it from them, and you say, "Well, as as this is about to happen, you know, a a big you see something swirling in 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 you know around the midsection of you know Frazer Blue, and." It seems to grow, and in the blink of an eye, it grows larger than, you know, a purple worm. Mm. And, it, and all, all of a sudden, Yanogu's head yeah, gets torn it, off like, and thrown across yeah, the cavern. Like it, it coats him, and he starts screaming, and, you know, his head explodes. And, you know, like so, some kind of yeah. over-the-top, you know, uh, a giant, you know, tentacle, whatever, beak comes through his chest and he basically disintegrates as he goes you know goes back to his his home plane or whatever like however you want to get out get them out of there Mm -hmm. and just have like two of them just be completely decimated by the queen of chaos without any effort on her part whatsoever 
That's a great. That's a great introduction. Yeah. She shows up and boom, they're done. Yeah, and I kind of so the the meta story here is that she caused the she helped manipulate to cause the the demon lord scourge or whatever because um, right. it creates more chaos right she's the queen right. of chaos but I like the idea like she's there during the distraction to take the rod from them right uh, it's the perfect timing to do so but but what if the original idea that I had that grass sort of sneaks out of the fight and goes to attack the party is the introduction like suddenly grass appears at your back and then his head goes flying and lands at your feet and oh my gosh there's a giant tentacle monster you know uh, right. so yeah, it could yeah. it could all happen yeah absolutely yeah. i like that yeah, very like, good like they like they could do like one round with grast and have him like show how powerful he is right and then she shows up and just takes him out with no effort that's good i like because, that yeah cuz that's what you really want like cuz you know like you said they're going to take her right right like, okay but you got to make them think at least for a split second. Oh crap! We might not be able to take her. Yeah. No, I like it. That's very good. I am going to do all of those things. Yeah. All yeah. right. We are all. We all successfully went over our time, so that we are now over <laughs> an hour, as we always are. So uh, we will call. You didn't this think ep- it was going to be any different without Mike, did you? No, no, I didn't have any. Well, and but we got a little more workshoppy this time, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, that was that was interesting. Um, so I mean, maybe people want to let us know if you like that style of, of sort of yeah. workshopping some things. Uh, shoot me an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can also find the show on Twitter at thetomeshow. You can find Sam. He is at DM Samuel. Uh, is there an yep. underscore? Nope. No, nope, just DM Samuel. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Uh, David is the DM Jester. D-N-D Jester. D-N-D Jester. Oh, it's close. D-N-D underscore Jester or just D-N-D Jester? I think it's all one word. All one word. Okay. So you can find him on Twitter there. And this has been our Behind the DM screen for the month. Uh, so say goodnight, guys. Goodnight, guys. Goodnight.